Our scripture reading this morning is Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is God's word. It really is good to be able to be back in the room together. And uh, just to, the, the energy of the singing, the, the volume of the singing, this room is just not made for 250 people. Uh, this room is made for a house full. And uh, thank you so much for, for being here and being a part of that. And I feel like uh, I sat, I was sitting down there and I began to feel a little bit nervous because I thought, only one service, I got to get it right the first time. You know, I don't get to, <laughs> I don't get a mulligan on the sermon anymore, you know, I don't get to, to come back and, and redo it. Um, I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we start or, or at least a, a clarification or don't connect dots that don't need to be connected. I want you to know that I am not, absolutely not, because I don't think it's right or wise to do, trying, as, we're in a series of looking back, or looking at back right now, today, but I am not connecting the events of the world of the last year and a half with the judgment poured out on Judah and Israel and Jerusalem, Okay. I think that would be a very dangerous thing to do. And uh, so please, I know some go that way, some lean that way and look at all this. Well, this is God's judgment on America. This is God's judgment on the world. Um, that's not the purpose of this. That's not what we're talking about here. So please understand that as we go into this. Um, it's about, more about principle than particulars in a lot of ways. We are in this little three-week series a series of, of today looking back, next week look around, where are we, where does God have us right now, and then in a couple of weeks looking forward. I want to remind us this morning, and the person message is, is to remind us that whenever we look back, anytime, whenever we look back, from whatever point we look back, wherever we're standing, wherever we're located, at the point that we look back, we will always see we will always see the immutable, the unchanging character and nature of a faithful God. It will always be there. Now, it may not be obvious to us immediately, and it may not be seen if we're not willing to actually look for it. And a lot of times we're so convinced or so determined, maybe is a better way to say it, we're so determined to find a different explanation that we miss the character and the nature of God manifest through what we're experiencing at any given time. The God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever is always going to be there, and he is always at work. So the purpose of this message is, is for us to bask in this little section of lamentations, a little section that, that J. Vernon McGee says is the only bright spot in the book, <laughs> just, these, <laughs> just these few verses. Um, where Jeremiah takes his eyes off of his circumstances and, and turns them full onto the glory of his God. 
And as he does that, he recalls the goodness of God. He recalls the character and the nature of God and who God is. And as he does that, he's renewed in his hope in this good, loving, caring God. And we do the same. And when we do the same, we receive the same. You see, God, who couldn't love us more than he already does, and could not do more for us out of that love than he already has, is the God we're talking about this morning. He's always at work for our good. That's the purpose of the message, to encourage us to recall the goodness of God when we look back, and to be renewed in the hope that this recollection of our good God will bring. Let's move through the passage. Um, some of you may be more familiar with this than others. I've, I've kind of, we've actually heard from some folks. I, this aside, this won't cost you anything extra. Um, we've actually heard from some folks, please stop assuming we know things we don't. And, and let me tell you what that means. That means, you know, a lot of times it's easy to say, well, you remember the story of such and such. And there's a lot of people sometimes sitting in the audience are like, no, actually, I don't remember that story. Could you fill me in? And I think it's actually pretty disrespectful to someone who's just beginning their journey, just beginning their Christian and their spiritual journey to start from places that you would have had to be doing this for a while to be able to start from. So we're going to try to get away from that. We're going to try to get away from making those kinds of assumptions to still bring truth and depth, but at the same time also say, hey, if you're new to this, that's okay. If you're new to this, we want to engage you in this too. We want to give you things that you can grab onto as well. And if you're not familiar with Lamentations, Lamentations is exactly what it says. It's a, lament. it's a funeral dirge. It's actually five funeral dirges. Four of the five chapters are 22 verses long. That's the, for each of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 that we're looking at today is actually 66 verses long, three times through the Hebrew alphabet. But it's, it's speaking, and the majority of it, most of it, is this really sad lamenting of Jeremiah, where he is, is, is expressing his grief, his sadness, his sense of loss at what has transpired. But our text this morning, in the midst of that lamenting, in the midst of his crying out to the Lord, which is, by the way, a wonderful example for us. It's a wonderful example of what we as believers need to be more willing to do. We need to be more willing to lament. Sometimes in counseling, I'll actually have people write a lament. We need to be more willing to express that sadness. It's good. It's healthy. But it's also about our capacity in the midst of lament to see and behold the glory of God, to not miss that. To not miss God's glory as we go. And, and Jeremiah here shifts his gaze off of the ruin and the ashes of his beloved city, off of his own intense sadness and loss that he's experiencing, off of his anger at a people who refused to repent and obey because this didn't have to happen. And he turns that gaze onto his God and he remembers. And as he remembers, he's renewed of spirit as he considers the nature and the character of his God. Let's look at the state of the prophet in verse 19 and 20. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. 
My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Jeremiah's experience has been gut-wrenching. His suffering both outward and inward. This idea of wormwood and gall is is symbolic of of the, the most bitter and impalatable things imaginable. And his soul is continuously remembering Never a moment without it pressing on his thoughts. Do you have anything like that? Do you have that sadness, that hard thing that's just always there in your thoughts, always there in your mind, and it bows you down? And it's, it's something that you desperately, desperately would love to be free of, but God has not delivered you from it. God has not given you freedom from it. And it is a part of your life. It is a part of your story. And in the midst of that, you you continue to cry out to God. It's literally, Jeremiah is saying, his entire being, he's literally bending his whole being toward the ground, stripped of of pride and self-sufficiency. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that experience, something sparks. A light glows. Memories flood back. He calls to mind, he says, not of the suffering and anguish, not of the destitute state of the city. That was always in his mind, but of a faithful, a merciful God, a loving God, a God who keeps his promises, a God who never fails in that. Look at verse 21. He says, but this I call to mind. Remember, And therefore, I have hope renewed. What is it that he remembers? You know, I see this a little bit like Asaph in in Psalm 73. You know, if you're familiar with that psalm, what the psalm talks about, it talks about the fact that um, he is is looking at, at wicked people who seem to be prospering. And he's looking at himself who is seeking to be righteous and seems to be having all kinds of problems. And he's going through this experience in life, and he comes to verse 16. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17 says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. He goes to a different place. He changes his view, and he changes his perspective, and as he does, He understands things. That's a little bit of what Jeremiah is expressing. This I call to mind. What's he called to mind that brings about this hope? The word for hope here is a word that implies expectation. It's not just a a, a hopeful or wishfulness, but it's actually an expectancy. So what's he remembering? What is the this that he's calling to mind? What's so powerful that even in the midst of, of his suffering, he has expectation? In the midst of 154 verses of lament, he pauses in these few verses and asserts life-giving theological truth, truth that is the reason for his hope in spite of his circumstances, truth that whenever we look back, whenever we look back, we too can see these same truths at play. The first one is verse 22, the beginning of it that says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's a song. We know the song. Most of us have sung. I love it when I come across a verse that this is a song. I just start singing it as I'm, as I'm reading along. The problem is the, the words are never exactly the same. That's, that's the only part. 
But this steadfast love that never ceases, the word love there in Hebrew is has said, and it means a loyal love or a covenant love, a covenant with God himself as its author. Think about that. It's a covenant love with promises kept being the manifestation of that covenant love. That love is demonstrated as God keeps his promises. He can't, the covenant can't end. The love can't end because it's based on the character of God. That Deuteronomy 28 covenant that he made with Israel, he's not abandoning that covenant. Punishing, yes, but rejecting, no. Not abandoning or rejecting his chosen people, not denouncing the covenant that he had made with Israel, his chosen people. He's not denouncing that or, or renouncing that. The loyal love, the covenant love manifested in the promises kept with Abraham to make of him a great nation, with Moses to bring the people into the land, with Joshua to establish the people in the land, with David that from his line would come the Messiah, with us that he will build his church and the very gates of hell won't prevail against it. Those are covenant promises. Hang on to those. They don't change. They're written by God. They're cast in his sovereignty, and they're not going anywhere. His steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love never ceases, and it manifests itself in the keeping of his promises. The second thing that Jeremiah is calling to mind here that brings him hope is that God's mercies never come to an end. You probably heard that simplified definition of, of grace and mercy. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Admittedly, that's a little oversimplified, but it's worth hanging on to. Because any honest, informed look back is going to reveal the mercy of God. If we're really honest, if we really have any sense or perspective of what we actually deserve, any look back reveals the mercy of God. It's true for Jeremiah, it's true for us. Jerusalem's in ruins. The people are slaughtered and exiled and taken captive. And he says God's mercy is still at work. It hasn't reached its end because it has no end. His mercies never come to an end. The nation deserved utter annihilation as we do. God said through the prophets, do this and I'll bless you, do this. And I'll bring judgment and destruction upon you. And they chose the latter. But even in the midst of the devastation and the destruction that he allowed to come upon his people, he preserved. He showed his mercy. He preserved a remnant. In his unending mercy, he wasn't done with his people. And Jeremiah sits in the rubble and the ruin of a judgment that he himself prophesied was coming. But he sees beyond the ash and the rubble. And he calls to mind the reality of what God is doing. He sees the remnant. He affirms the mercy of God, the never ceasing, endless mercy of God, built on the character of God, not the merits of men. Paul told Timothy, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't deny himself. He's judging but not rejecting. He's chastening but not abandoning. You know, sometimes it amazes me uh, how, um, sometimes myself included, we, we, what we seem to think we deserve or not deserve. Uh, we, we can be pretty lofty thinking in that. 
how little sometimes we give credit to God for what he didn't do in light of our sin and our disobedience to him. I had a friend one time who was kind of uh, talking about another friend of ours who had gone through a divorce and, and being a little critical. And I finally had to tell him, I said, you know, you just got a merciful wife. That's the only reason you're, that's the only reason you're not divorced. <laughs> you just got a really merciful wife. And, um, you know, sometimes we think it's us. And it's, it's not us. It's God's mercy. It's his grace. It's his goodness. Jeremiah knew they deserved everything they got and then some, and he's thankful for the endless mercies of God that were manifest to a wicked, defiant people. But he didn't utterly destroy them. He retained a remnant. Thirdly, Jeremiah, as he thinks back, as he considers these things and calls them to mind, he gains hope from the fact that God's mercies are not only endless, but they are also new every morning. Now, the word new here, don't think so much about age. It's not so much about the age of the mercies. That's not so much the designation talked about here. Think about it in terms of something that's perfected, refined, prescribed. I think it's a little bit like your doctor that might say to you, well, I'm going to give you a new prescription. Uh, you know, I've been giving you five milligrams of this blood pressure medicine. I'm going to up you to 10 because it's more precisely what you need. Uh, I think I'm going to have to get up to 15 here for too long. But, but he said, you, you, you've, you, it's more precisely what you need. God allowed Israel. You know, when a lot of commentators feel like maybe Jeremiah has in his mind here God's provision of manna that it's new every morning. And that was maybe the metaphorically kind of what he's thinking. And, and, but the idea is not new as in time, as in it, you, you just got it, it's only 15 minutes in your hand, but the fact that this is something new, this is something perfected, this is more prescribed just for you. Because you see, Israel in the, man, in the, in the wilderness, they can only take what they needed for that day. And other than the Sabbath, in preparation for the Sabbath, they could only take what they needed for that day. They couldn't gather tomorrow's manna today. It was never exhausted, and it was, but it couldn't be accumulated either. It was just right for that day. In reality, that is so much the way of God's mercy. Have you ever experienced something you thought you couldn't get through? Have you, have you ever weathered something you thought, if that ever happened, it would destroy me? Something we try to, sometimes we, we try to experience God's mercy for, for our imagination. I can, I can lay in bed at night and, and start imagining all kinds of things. You know, that 3.30, is anybody else here wake up at 3.30? Something about 3.30, I don't know, it's just like the... I'm going to say the witching hour. That's probably not a good, not a good term. But, uh, you know, just at 3.30 in the morning, I just wake up and I start thinking about stuff. And I start thinking through things and I start worrying about things. And I start thinking, well, I just couldn't. If this happened, it'll just be this. And usually when you wake up in the morning, you're like, what was I so worried about that for? But it's just, it's just at that time, you know, we're, we're, we're imagining and we don't have the mercy. We don't have the grace there for what we're imagining and we, we try to experience God's grace and mercy just by imagining it. And, and the fact is, it wasn't given to us for that. We try to claim mercy today for something that's not part of today. And that never works. 
But I know that some of you in this room, you have lived the unthinkable and the unimaginable, and you're still here. You're still standing. And not only are you standing, you're still standing in faith. You still believe. Your anchor still holds. Things that, that if you had anticipated them and imagined them, you said, I, I could never do that. It'd be too much. But you've endured what you could not have imagined enduring, and you've forgiven what you could not have imagined forgiving, and you've given more than you could ever have imagined giving, and you've loved when really you could only have imagined hating. But God, by his mercies, has given you what you needed, the mercy you needed for that day, because when the sun rose on that day, God's mercy was there for what you needed that day. It was new. It was prescribed. It was precise. It was exactly what you needed for that day. When you closed your eyes to sleep the day before, God knew what you would need when the morning dawned, and it was there because it's never-ending, and it's new. More than adequate mercies lavished on us when we need them. They were new, just right, prescribed, perfected. Now, listen, don't think that implies in any way, shape, or form that things should always be easy, that things shouldn't be hard, that things shouldn't just rack our soul. Because they do. Jeremiah has been in agony. He's not called the weeping prophet for nothing. He's been agonizing. Don't ever think that extolling the goodness and the mercy of God requires that we deny the reality of human suffering because it does not. We got to stop saying fine when we're not and okay when we're not and be honest. Experience that every, we, we experience that every time a dear suffering loved one leaves this earth, as some have experienced this week, there's grief, there's heartache, there's sorrow, and those are intensely real. But so is the confidence, and so is the joy of knowing that they are with Jesus and no longer suffering. You do not have to deny one of those to embrace and accept the other. They are not mutually exclusive. They can walk together. If you don't believe it, go watch the movie Inside Out. It happens in that movie. It's a really and truly, it's a great movie. It's a kid's movie. But it's a great picture of how emotions interplay together. And you can have that intense sadness and sorrow and have that intense joy at the same time because both are true and both are realities. But God gives mercies as we need them. We grieve, we suffer, we rejoice all at the same time often. So Jeremiah reflects on the loyal, steadfast love of the Lord, the endless mercy of a holy God, the perfectly prescribed just when you need them mercies of God. And he professes this profound theological truth, the subject of hymns and choruses and praise songs and poems and prose. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. 
through his tears and his suffering and his sorrow. He professes, great is your faithfulness. As the Babylonians advanced, God was faithful. As the walls fell, God was faithful. As the city burned, God was faithful. And the faithfulness of God, that constant comfort, when fear threatens to overtake, when uncertainty and doubt crowd in, turning our gaze, remembering, calling to mind the character and the nature of God who preserved the remnant, who preserved his people, and drawing hope and renewal. Jeremiah, even in the midst of the sadness and lament, he remembers the loyal love of God, the endless mercies, the great faithfulness of God, and in an expression of peaceful resolve, declares this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. That same soul that was bowed down under the weight of all that he was suffering. Therefore, I will hope in him. And that is about where we are. That is about where we are, that the Lord, we recognize the Lord is our portion. We recognize our hope in him. And that's where we stop, because that's where we pick up next week. Looking at the idea of looking around, where does God have us? Where does God have us? How do we know? Father God, we're grateful that in your sovereignty, you do allow suffering. Sometimes that suffering is the result of our sin. Sometimes it's not. Father, may we never fall into that trap of every time we suffer, asking, what have I done wrong? Sometimes our suffering is so that we lean hard into you and experience your grace and your mercy in the midst of it. Sometimes it is your chastening hand. Help us discern the difference. Father, thank you that if we're honest and if we genuinely, without a preconceived idea of what we want to find, but if we look honestly and wholeheartedly, we will always see you at work. We will always see you keeping your promises. For us, we will always see you building your church. Bigger and broader than just First Evangelical Church. But you're building your church. And we believe that and we trust that. And we pray for wisdom as we walk this path. In Jesus' name, amen.